Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have you company as we kick off the afternoon with the call. Uh, 10 stocks that you asked me to put to our expert panel for their analysis. We do it all in 60 minutes. Uh, It's wild and woolly. It's a lot of fun uh, and incredibly informative because we have some great expert panels. And today is no different. Ben Clark from TMS Capital joins us. Uh, Ben, good afternoon. Oh, you're looking almost civilized today. Last time we had you on, you had the beard and the woolly (laughs) hair of lockdown are you preparing to come out of hibernation are you yeah i think back in the office next week and trying to um i guess um i was in a bit of denial previously but i'm on the upward trajectory you'll be pleased to know yeah looking a bit uh, a bit civilized there which is terrific oh raskovich from raskin media how are you welcome to the program just thanks mate it's great to be here wonderful it's not very sunny down here in melbourne but i'll take it no, I'm just trying to read your, your whiteboard. Uh, I love interviewing uh, p- people with whiteboards behind. When I was... Uh, the trade secrets. Yeah, yeah. Um, a journo, uh, I just started at Channel 7. I was interviewing a major banking chief executive, which I won't tell you who it is. So we set up, set up the camera and, um, um, in, and they had placed his seat in front of a whiteboard. So he goes and sits down and uh, <laughs> I say to him, so is that the refinancing of um, Perisher for the Packer Group up on the whiteboard behind you? And he turned away and went, oh, shit. And then starts rubbing it out. <laughs> Everyone's There's nothing so, like that here. No, <laughs> no. Uh, well, I thought it could be a takeover for the Ras Media Empire or <laughs> the refinancing. It was very funny. Oh, we get... Get so used to whiteboards, don't we? And putting our thoughts there and forget to rub it out. Um, all right, for regular viewers, you know we're in the middle of a series at the moment over this two weeks. Um, I've given all our guests a bit of homework. I want them to suggest a stock they would put in a portfolio to help fund their kids' or grandkids' education costs. Uh, as I've explained before, I've got a, a daughter and daughter-in-law uh, due in, uh, in November. And it's been a topic of great conversation in our household recently as they're going, how do we pay for their education into the future? They look at me and I go, you're on your own, kiddos. Uh, But I'll see if I can help by picking the brains of the experts for something to a little portfolio to invest in now. So, uh, So Ben Clark, what's one stock you would have in a fund like that? Yeah, look, I picked... um, a little bit of a cheat here, Koshi, but I picked a, a listed investment company, um, which is called MFF. Uh, so this is um, was once a part of the Magellan Empire, and um, it was split off when um, Hamish Douglas and Chris Mackay, you know, they're still 
big shareholders of Magellan, but Chris Mackay sort of went on his own ways. And he sort of retained this um, listed investment oh. company as almost, you'd almost call it like his, um, you know, a, a, almost like a family trust, I suppose, or, or an in-house um, yeah. investment portfolio, which he's the largest shareholder of. And through, you know, if you buy shares in this one, um, this one stock, you effectively get exposure to businesses like Visa, MasterCard, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, etc. Which is, you know, I think if you're, I'm, I'm about to have to start paying um, school fees in a year myself, and it, it is fairly daunting when you look at um, how much it does cost. So I think it's a, you know, great advice yeah. to try and plan toward it. Um, the, I think the advantage. The advantage with this one is you get exposure to some of the fastest growing businesses in the world. Um, it also pays quite a nice dividend, which um, they've decided they're going to um, effectively double over the next um, couple of years. So there'll be a bit of income starting to spit back out of it, which can help meet those um, those uh, school costs. And the other thing is, um, you know, because of the unusual nature of this um, of this trust, it's extremely low cost. Um, you know, they, they basically don't charge a fee and there is no performance fees. So, you know, there's wow. not a lot of money um, that's going at the fee line. Wow. That's fantastic. And, and while Magellan is, if you like, the, uh, has the Mick Jagger profile, this is Keith Richards in yeah. the background doing a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, well, certainly doing a bit better at the moment. Um, yeah. But... You know that the the only um the only real cost that goes out is they they pay like a, a fixed research cost to Magellan um, for access to their analysts and analysis. Right. Um, but oh, you know there's right. no MER on top of that. Yeah. So look, I I, I think um you know Chris mm. Mackay's you know obviously very well regarded. Yeah. Um, he's got plenty of skin in the game, and you know I like the area that it gives you exposure okay. just by buying the one share rather than trying to do it yourself. Excellent. Now, Owen, you've gone for a US stock, listed stock. Mm, yeah, Koshi, I think that was, that was a great uh, tip there. Um, when, I was, when I saw this come through via email, I thought, well, I guess there's the old analogy that you, to, to finish the race in first, you've got to first finish the race. And so the thing that I would be looking for if I was building a portfolio for children is basically something that you have very high conviction will still be around in 18 or 21 years or however long you've got to invest that money for them. I had actually a few few names. Um, like Ben, I came up with um, a couple of funds as well and an ETF, an ethical ETF. But I've decided to go with something which from my kind of financial literacy and education background, um, I thought would make it more relatable. So uh, the company that I went with is Disney. And we did a whole month on this, this company recently on our podcast. But basically, you know, Disney is coming up on its 100-year birthday so it's almost a hundred years old and if you think about business models and how rapidly they change i think the one thing that stands the test of time is basically brand value and kids and adults alike still want to be entertained and if you look at some of the brands like marvel um any of the sporting brand stakes in like espn uh these types of things you've got the theme parks so many great you know call options embedded in this business things that they still haven't truly monetized as well as they can. Um, I was looking um, for my favorite comics and um, superheroes, and I think I, I kind of got dumbfounded that there's a list of over 300. So we kind of know that, you know, the 10 or 20 from Marvel. Um, but there are still so many kind of intellectual rights embedded in this business. And 
Yeah, I'd buy yeah. a small stake in Disney. That's fantastic. Uh, a company that continually involves and uh, evolves and does it so well, it has its own business school attached to it as well, which is world-renowned. So um, uh, two great suggestions. Thank you, guys. Let's get into the stocks that uh, our viewers want us to um, have a look at. And Callum, uh, Owen wants a, um, um, a view on Volpara Health Technologies. Callum says... Share price trending sideways for some time. Um, however, I'm a little concerned about their business strategy shifting from their core product of breast cancer screening to lung cancer screening. Growth is stagnated. Uh, are they looking to add on or buy growth through seeking alternative markets? I know Owen has been a fan of this stock previously. Would he would be interested in his thoughts and? I know when they moved into the lung cancer, RAS Media um, did quite a big analysis on it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a company that I've followed for quite some time. I've spoken to uh, the founder, Ralph Heinem, quite a few times. Uh, it's born out of Oxford Research, basically. Uh, so it started with breast density. Um, you know, a woman would come in for a mammogram. She would get screened. Uh, Volpara would put the ticket as they go through. Um, there would be a density score, which is basically a way of saying... Um, the risk of breast cancer in dense breasts is actually higher and harder to protect. So you basically have a two-pronged thing going against you here where um, you don't want to be in a situation where you have dense breasts and, you know, an early stage cancer goes unnoticed. So they've since evolved that business model to include a kind of breast platform. Um, in acquiring MRS a few years ago, they actually got a hold of um, a lung product, which is still going through some trials and testing. But the, the key thing here, and I, and I like that Callum kind of noted that there are some risks with it. It's still burning a lot of cash and um, it has changed and pivoted its marketing model and the way it kind of goes to market in the United States, which is its core market. Um, they, we were waiting for some kind of FDA um, and some, I guess, regulation here to clear the water on making breast density um, scores mandatory in the US, which hasn't happened yet. Right. Uh, the other thing to note is that, um, this is my final point, which is that um, Volpara currently has exposure to over 30% of the sites and women screened in the United States. And so by adding in things like genetics testing and lung, um, lung products, whether that's through third parties or themselves, they've actually already got their foot in the door with 30%, you know, almost a third of the women screened in the United States. So this is basically Volpara's mm -hmm. attempt to clip the ticket in addition to its kind of core um, density products. Okay. Um, so would you be getting in at, is it a buy from you or...? I, I own the shares and right. um, I, I'd say that it's a, it's a high risk investment because it is burning cash and there are some accounting things that I didn't really like recently. But um, I think overall, you know, for a small position, yes, I'd buy some. Okay. Ben? Um, I, I'll go a hold on this one, Koshi. I, you know, it's one that I had to have a look at. I, I'm not as familiar with the business. I would, you know, they've made really good headway into the US. Um, I guess you could look at that two ways. Obviously, um, it's a great product that they're rolling out. I think sort of one in three women in, in the States um, use the use the company to do their screening. So, you know, that's that's pretty phenomenal take up when you think about it. Um, however, it would be a concern to me that they've made all that headway. But as Owen said, they are still burning a significant amount of cash. You know, it, it doesn't look to me like they're um, really getting any closer to um, to turning cash flow positive. They're burning about $14 million a year. 
Um, the revenue looks of fairly high quality. A, a lot of it is recurring, which is always good to see. And um, they did issue um, pretty positive guidance for the year ahead. You know, I think a lot of these style of businesses have had issues with COVID, just with hospital access, people delaying screening because they're worried about getting COVID, all those kind of things. So, you know, the, the year that's passed in the in the States has probably been uh, difficult for them. In, in terms of the, you know, the pivot or whatever you want to call it, the move into lung, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it, sounds, um, it sounds productive, but you do wonder if, um, you know, getting away from that core competency and, and whether they see um, the ability to get cash flow positive just sticking to what they're doing at the moment or they really need to broaden out um, their revenue offerings. So, you know, um, I think there's 32 million odd cash on the balance sheet. So they, they've got, you know, plenty um, there to withstand the cash burn for some time. But um, I, I wouldn't be buying it at the moment, probably mm. waiting for a, that, that sort of tipping point to get closer on the horizon. Okay. All right. Um, thank you for that suggestion. Um, uh, who's that? Callum, who asked us to look at that. Uh, David, Ben wants a view on uh, early pay. As David says, it's not a buy now, pay later company, uh, though the name may suggest it. Um, and they'd probably be happy for that confusion if they are after share price increase. In fact, it's a factoring and finance leasing equipment um, uh, company for small businesses. Um, David says, coming off a record 2021 for sales, uh, currently pays a 5% fully frank dividend, growth and yield in a nice area that the large banks have largely conceded. What am I missing here? They've recently done a raise um, to, uh, to recapitalise the business, pay down some debt. Uh, ben, what do you think of early pay? I, I, thought, I hadn't really even heard of this business before, Koshi. I was quite impressed with what I saw on face value. The numbers do look really good. Um, and I would agree with David that, you know, we, we've seen the banks pulling away from a lot of, um, you know, smaller areas for them or non-traditional. And those gaps are being increasingly filled by um, players such as this. Uh, so, you know, they, 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 they effectively, I mean, you don't want to compare them to Greensill, but it, it sounds like a similar model where for SMEs um, who might be cash poor and, and like to get paid faster than their yep. payment terms um, are required, they advance them cash against their invoices um, and take a clip and probably an interest um, interest cost as a result. That's one area where this business has done well is the scale has increased. The cost of the debt that they're using to finance the, the lending um, has come down. It's at about 4.2% now and it was at about 6.4% a couple of years ago. So that um, is really healthy for margins. Last year, they originated about, I think it was $1.8 billion in invoices. So mm. quite a significant um, size. And as David was saying, you know, they're on a backward looking PE of about 12 times, um, a yield of 5%, um, around $40, $45 million in cash on the balance sheet. And they've guided for that MPAT line to increase by 40% this year. So it all looks um, it all looks quite good. And it's one that I might go and do a bit more work on. I guess the only couple of things I would say to David is these businesses do have risks um, and, you know, it really comes down to how well um, the company can manage those risks. When you're lending out significant amounts of money, you want to be certain that you're getting paid back. Mm. And I, I would say, you know, these businesses typically do trade on lower PEs than you expect, um, even if the growth is strong, because the market 
um, does attach that risk uh, to the earnings quality. But, you know, I'm, I'm face value to me. It all looks pretty good and I'm going to put a buy on it. Okay. Uh, and Owen, um, <laughs> Invoice Financing, if my experience is anything at the moment, uh, big customers are paying really slow at the moment, uh, which is buggering up all their cash flows. <laughs> mm. I think I don't really have much more to add on from what Ben said. In fact, I just came across this company today myself and um, I've got to say, there's a lot about it that I like. Um, one of the things that I probably would call out is that during you know, a once in a hundred year pandemic, the company's uh, bad debts have actually been incredibly light on. So it's really good to see that, you know, obviously the, the invoices are, um, are secured against the invoices yeah. and um, the equipment is secured against the equipment. They say it's independently valued. So it's just great to see um, those those bad loans so low. Um, one of the things just on, on Ben's point there is, I was trying to think of like, why are the margins getting so much better when revenue, even though it's, you know, it's growing, it's not really growing that fast. And it's to do with that cost of, of financing. And um, one of the challenges that these challenges that these businesses tend to have is that as they scale, um, there tends to be that increase in, in operating expenses, but we haven't seen that. So this business is actually probably already in that inflection point if you're looking at kind of the growth on the bottom line. Um, the other thing that I'd say is that the, the, the company's platform basically is a play on automation. So we have um, an integration with MYOB, MyOB, and we have an integration with Zero. And effectively, gone are the days when you know you would get some sort of banker that sits down and you know runs their ruler over um, the bank statements. This platform basically plugs into the source yeah. of um, a company's accounting and says, "Is this person or is this company uh, rather you know a reputable um, client, and should we lend to them?" And I think that's basically the future. We've seen that in the US with Square doing something very similar through its um, point of sale terminals. Um, Tyro's trying to do it here in Australia as well. Like Ben said, there are risks, um, opportunities on the income statement with a business like this and risk is on the balance sheet. So you just want to make sure that those loans aren't going sour. But, you know, I've only had a quick glance at it. Um, I would say if it's a very small position and you treat it as a speculative position, um, yep. yeah, you could you could put a buy rating on it. Yeah, because it's in that, in that, it's sort of similar and in that credit court type sector isn't it? Uh, but for, for small business. And as you say, uh, plugging into a small business's uh, MYOB or zero really gives these, they used to be in the old days called factoring businesses, uh, a real leg up now. It's changed it uh, enormously. Mm. Um, great suggestion for us to have a look at, uh, David. Really appreciate it. Um, Owen, uh, and next uh, company that a viewer wants to um, your analysis of is Unity Group, the telecommunications uh, business, operates across wholesale infrastructure communications. Um, one of its directors has sort of got in a bit of governance strife from, from, strife from ASIC recently, but uh, what do you think of Unity? Yeah, I think it's important to note that that um, is kind of limited to the individual and it was due, due to um, something that happened at a prior company, so not yeah. this one in particular. And the allegations uh, being denied as well. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So um, in terms of the fundamentals of the business, still really strong. So what does Unity do? Effectively, Unity is one of those companies, and this is an old saying, it's the easiest way to get rich is to use other people's money to do it. And Unity effectively does that in telecommunications. What it does is it gets paid by a developer to install fiber optic networks, yep. And then um, companies like Telstra or Optus or, or the like will pay to access those fiber cables 
throughout um, new housing developments or apartments and the like. And then Unity basically sits back and, and enjoys annuity-like revenue. So um, it's a really, really interesting business model. It's a fantastic business model. This is a company, Koshi, that's come from basically micro-cap status here in Australia to become a blue chip in relatively short time. I think I was looking at the numbers in FY17. It had something like $2 million revenue. Now it's looking at $200 million. Um, it's in, I think it's the, the forward five years, it's got 20% growth, uh, order growth um, already baked in. So this is a business that's you know, got all the hallmarks of a business model that is repeatable, that is and, defensive. And a very nice looking share price chart. <laughs> yeah, you don't get it much better than that. I think the only thing wow. that looks better than that uh, is maybe Visa or MasterCard, and they are basically <laughs> the rails for uh, money globally. So um, yeah, I think it's a really fantastic business. You pay the price for a business of this quality, but you know, um, I think it's a buy. If you have a, yep. a small position to start with and, and wait for any pullback, I think you can add more. Uh, ben? Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um, I, I met up with Vaughan Bowen and um, he ran us through the case for it a, a few months ago. And um, um, it, it's pretty compelling. Um, and, and particularly because really the only competitor they now have that um, you know a developer might talk to is the MBN. And he sort of said, you know, try getting the MBN to be as quick, <laughs> agile, as great at service, all of that yep. sort of stuff as we are. And um, that's who they're effectively taking on. So they, they bought out the smaller players in the um, space. There's been a string of um, acquisitions which has um, brought together the, the three or four main players that were doing this. And the, the elephant in the room is that no one really likes dealing with the MBM because of all the bureaucracy and the speed and all that kind of thing around it. Um, and it's, you know, if you look at the number of housing starts that are forecast to happen over the next five to 10 years, and this is whether it's in apartment blocks or whether it's land and house packages, um, the growth is virtually locked in, which is why mm. the market is paying for it. It's so trading on 33 times forward earnings. Um, so it's not cheap and it would be good to try and buy this cheaper, you know, if you can. But, you know, the thing I've always learned is that Great businesses don't often get cheap, um, and if they do, there's probably a reason behind it. So yeah. I'm going to go buy on this one, Koshi. Okay, all right. It's already in the calls fantasy portfolio, so it stays there. Um, next company, John, wants a view on Control Bionics. Hadn't heard about this. Uh, great technology. One of those companies where that you want it to succeed because the technology is all about helping people with motor neuron disease multiple sclerosis, um, cerebral palsy and conditions like that. John says, love a review of it, listed early this year. Its founder is Peter Ford, who used to be the co-host of Sunrise before my time. So about 23 years ago, Peter Ford was the host. And I've always wondered where Peter was. And... Um, um, John says, seemingly a lot of potential in the wearable technology space. After a strong surge on listing, it settled right back. Hasn't done much since, but wondering what the team might think of its uh, future fortunes. Uh, ben, what do you think of Control Bionics? Yeah, um, it's, it's another one that I'd never heard of. Um, so I've done a quick um, look at it and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you do hope companies like this can be successful because it would appear that they make, you know, people who have had horrible accidents or born with um, disabilities makes their life and the people that are caring for them a lot easier. It helps yep. them um, uh, 
um, helps them with movement and and with communication probably most importantly so you know it, it always sounds a bit harsh when you're getting into the financials and that sort of thing on the back of that yeah. but you know they, they they've it looks like they've had a tough year um, since they have listed and we know that a lot of um, COVID, you know, COVID has created a lot of issues for a lot of businesses, and it, it sounds like this is one of them. Um, you know, they did about four million dollars in sales um, in the last year, um, and lost about three and a half million dollars. So, you know, that's kind of the burn rate. Market cap, it's tiny. It's got a market. I mean, by by the ASX standards, it's got a, a market cap of thirty-two million, um, but it does have fourteen million dollars. Uh, I mean, in cash. So it. You know, it's well capitalized and it, it can continue to invest aggressively in R&D and, um, you know, lose money as hopefully it is scaling up. They have guided for 25% um, growth in sales this year. Um, and look, I, I think it's, you know, without knowing who they're competing against, um, I would have thought it's actually probably can be quite a profitable market because if you've got something which um, really works and it really changes people's lives. Um, I would have thought that people are probably less price sensitive in terms of um, mm. um, paying for it. And, you know, the market might be small enough where the bigger players don't really look at it because it's not going to make much of a difference to them. So, look, I'll go a hold. Um, and, um, mm. you know, it's hopefully on the basis that the company can succeed. Yeah. Um, oh, that's fascinating, isn't it? It, it uses. Um, users operate and communicate via a computer using intentional thought and the body's own neuroelectric signals um, to move skeleton and muscles and things like that. Uh, just fantastic stuff, isn't it, to help physical movement for those people with, with disabilities? Mm, yeah, it's fantastic business. I've spoken to um, Rob Wong, who's the current CEO, oh, yeah. um, and been, been in contact with him. Um, it's a really, really interesting business. And like Ben said, it's the type of business where you want it to succeed, not just for your own portfolio, but also um, for, I guess, humanity's sake. So the NeuroNode, which is the product that it creates, is about the size of this Apple AirPod um, container here. And it sits typically on your wrist like a band, and it sits on there and it detects um, intentional neurons or, or decision-making through your body. So your brain sends a signal to your hand or throughout your body um, even if you can't see it physically on the surface. And that obviously happens happens to help with people that may be paralyzed. And so, for example, you can detect a signal coming down the arm before um, it actually has a kind of like a, a, a muscle reflex. And so if you go on YouTube, you'll be able to find Rob's videos on this, and it is incredible. Um, this is a this technology, the NeuroNode, which again is about this big, um, can be used by almost anyone. So it can be used by someone who's able-bodied or not able-bodied. And we've seen companies in the US, like um, this is an Apple Watch here, which is doing something similar, although it's not nearly as accurate as the NeuroNode. Um, we've got Control Labs in the US, which is trying to obviously break into the metaverse by allowing people to have virtual reality goggles and detect um, decisions. And then we've got Neuralink, which is um, obviously Elon Musk's spin out. But Neuralink is significantly different. If you think about NeuroNode like this, it detects basically a binary signal, so on and off. And so that can be used as like a left and right axis. So if you're using an iPad, um, you know, we would just look and press the button and out we have kind of like an organic movement. Um, with NeuroNode, you'd have to go left um, and then down to it to, to then click. Mm. And you can click just with intentional thought. And so that's basically how it works. To Ben's point about adoption, the big thing with um, NeuroNode is that it's, it's about $23,000. 
So here in Australia, the NDIS has to cover something that is kind of um, fair and reasonable. Is, I can't remember the exact definition, but it's something like fair and reasonable. Um, and basically, it's a hard, hard call for the NDIS to make every time someone comes in with motor neurone disease. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes, it's privately funded. In the US, it's the big growth story. Ultimately, sorry, I've rambled on, but um, ultimately, we've put out a buy recommendation on this business in the past, but it is highly, highly speculative, really, really right. speculative. I want to make that clear. Um, it still has a long way to go. You would not make this a meaningful part of your portfolio at this stage. Okay. All right. That's fascinating. We might get uh, get Pete on Ausbiz to um, um, to chat about it. Um, all right, uh, Ben Owen wants a view on Collins Foods. Uh, of course, Collins Foods uh, runs all the the KFC franchisees here in Australia, the Netherlands, Germany. They've got uh, the old Sizzler, which is sort of uh, um, coming away. Um, they've got uh, Taco Bell as well, um, and uh, right throughout Asia. Mm. What do you think of yeah, uh, um, Collins Foods? Yeah, Sizzler's, Sizzler's a, a blast from the, the past. It wouldn't have been profitable when I was a kid going in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with COVID, um, it's really, it's, with, it's, with COVID, I don't think the old Sizzler smorgasbord will be going down a treat too much in the future either. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? Although the KFC... Yeah. Um, brand and business, yeah. I've got to say, chooses great sporting clubs to sponsor um, in, in Port Adelaide. That's great. It's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And look, it, it really, you know, when you, when you flick through the, the presentation, there's talk about Europe and KFC in Europe and Taco Bell. But when you look, go deeper into the numbers, it's really about KFC in Australia. I think of the billion odd dollars in sales that they did last year, about 940 million were KFC stores in Australia. So that's right. kind of the, you know, they'll probably eke out some growth in the other areas, but that's the thing to focus on. And yeah, like, I, I you know, I've, I've got to say, I've underestimated just how good these businesses can be. In Australia, we don't have a lot of listed kind of rescue uh, restaurant chains, hotel groups, that kind of thing, compared to places like uh, markets like America. You know, if you look at Domino's, just what an extraordinary yep. success story that's been. And, you know, if you know, Domino's in, in the US has actually risen uh, more as a percentage since it's float than Google, <laughs> which sure. is a pretty, I, I didn't believe wow. that when someone no. told me that. It's true. So they, yeah. they can be great businesses. Um, I think, you know, without wanting to sound like it's unusual, but, you know, I think a lot of people in the market can discount these businesses because, you know, I wouldn't probably rush out to KFC regularly to feed my oh, kids. Come but on, ben. a lot of people I love talk. it. <laughs> you gotta say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it is good. Oh you look, cynic. It's, it's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think look it's on honestly it's 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 really about with with these kind of businesses, it's about growing same store sales. So you, you're you're wanting more volumes going through the sales, which increases the EBITDA margins that you're earning through those restaurants. And then it's rolling out new restaurants on top of that. And these guys seem to be doing a really good job of that. Um, they're forecasting, I think, about sort of 20 to 28 new restaurants to be opened this year. There was about 18 last year, and that was in COVID. Um, you know, we, we, we know that um, the technology part of these businesses makes them a lot more profitable, and that's been a big part of Domino's success. Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I'm going to go a hold. Um, okay. I, I, I've got to say I've missed this one, and um, but I think it looks pretty good. Owen? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Ben said. Um, 
I think people do tend to underestimate them because we basically only have Domino's and, and Collins Foods here. I remember passing up Collins Foods around about 700% ago. So, I mean, my, my take on it is probably not, um, not as kind of worthwhile as some, but I think it's a really good business. Um, I think, you know, before there were internet and all that type of stuff, you know, we count on the internet, we count eyeballs and time on site as kind of the key metrics. And that's how we get valuations these days. Um, but if you think about repeatable business models and, and traffic, how many people pass through a KFC um, and soon Taco Bell, um, it's an incredible business and they can make small small tweaks to incrementally grow uh, capital over time. So things like changing kiosks around, um, just simply rolling out stores. I love repeatable business models. It's got a little bit of debt. It's a business that pays a you know decent dividend. It's got a growth runway here in Australia, a little bit in the Europe, and obviously Taco Bell is just kind of that option. Um, you pay up for it. I think it's about 30, 38 times earnings currently. Um, but, you know, I think it's a really good business. I'd have it as a small slice in my portfolio. I'd probably wait for a pullback. So maybe a hold for me. Okay. All right. Let's just recap the uh, the first five stocks and our um, future fund stocks. Uh, for Ben, that's MFF Capital. And uh, for Owen, uh, Walt Disney Company. Uh, Volpara hold from uh, Ben, a uh, yes from Owen. Early pay gets a tick from uh, from both guys, so uh, goes into the portfolio as just a small investment. Interesting business grow with it. Unity Group, uh, a yes from both. That's already in the calls portfolio and stays there. Uh, Control Bionics, a hold from Ben, a speculative buy for a small slice uh, of your portfolio from Owen and a hold on Collins Foods. Um, here on the, the call, we have our own fantasy portfolio since we've been tracking since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Nab Trade. Any stocks that gets unanimous approval uh, as a buy from uh, our expert panel goes in. If it comes up again, uh, like Unity Group, and still gets a buy, it stays in there. If we take a look at how it's been doing for the week, down a third of a percent, uh, down one and a quarter percent for the month, up just over three percent since the first of July this year. Since the first of July last year, it's up thirty nine percent. Some of the stocks recently added to the fantasy portfolio: Dust, Centura, Industrial REIT, uh, Regis, Universal Store, and Boss Resources. Some that have been uh, taken out by our panel: A Two Milk, New Hope, Medical Developments, and Rio Tinto. If you want to check out. All the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Let's get into the second half and Vinash, um, Owen wants to be on Vulcan Resources. Uh, Vinash says, I've invested quite a bit in the Indian stock market, now trying to invest here in Australia. Uh, would it be possible to get a view on Vulcan Energy? Of course, it's the world's first and only zero carbon lithium process plans to produce battery-grade lithium hydroxide from germ, uh, geothermal brines pumped from wells for geothermal. It recently raised $200 million by an underwritten share placement. Uh, share prices uh, had a pretty good run the last year or two, Owen. Yeah, I mean, um, Avinash, if I was looking at getting exposure to the Australian stock market, I would probably stick with the businesses that are Kind of operating in Australia and have um, established franchises. So um, this is an interesting business. I get a lot of questions on this business, and to be honest, this is the first time I've ever had a proper look at it. I was okay. surprised and, to and, see. And I think that that chart is why you get a lot of questions. It's gone from a dollar to thirteen yeah. bucks in twelve months. 
Yeah, and I think this is um, um, one of those instances, Koshi, where you, you just need to understand the difference between share prices and fundamentals. Um, there are a few trademarks and slogans that get thrown around with the company. Um, people obviously know a lot more than I do to give them $200 million, but I was looking at the financials, you know, just as a kind of sanity check on the $1.6 billion uh, market cap, and I, I noticed that the financials were still counted without you know, an M or a B behind it, or even, you know, three zeros. So this is a business that's still very early in its in its growth trajectory. I think, you know, it's got some pretty big backers, some pretty important backers. Um, and obviously, it's a great thing. It's, it's found a run. It's, it's you know, it's it, everything that the company says is what probably what you want to hear. I would just, you know, want to wait and make sure that it kind of gets everything off the ground and gets the approvals that it needs in Europe and in Germany before I commit any money to this. So you know, there are plenty of ways to play kind of the, the hydrogen or lithium or renewable energy or clean energy thematic. Um, this, for me, is just not one of them. Okay. Um, that's kind of a cynical take, but I'd probably sell yeah, it, to be honest. No, no, no. fair enough. Um, yeah, take the money and run if you've been in there for the last year or take, take some money off the table in, in profits. Uh, ben, what do you think of it? Owen's absolutely correct. It's got some big names behind it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I think the Reinhardt family have, yeah. have backed um, a fair bit of money into this company. Um, look, it ticks a lot of boxes, right? Um, you know, the, the green element we're seeing, just the, the acceleration in, um, you know, the investors trying to get exposure to zero carbon, green, or the, the future, um, the minerals that are going to benefit from the world going to zero carbon is unparalleled at the moment. I'm, I'm going with Owen on this. I'm going a sell. Um, Maybe for slightly different reasons. I, I just think when when I'd have flicked through it, you know, it's it's three to four years minimum until there's going to actually start producing um, the lithium uh, that that this project will bring up. And you know, I I, I just think investors' um, patience can be tested. And I've got I, I would have a view that lithium is quite likely to go through a bear market um, at some stage over the next three to four years as the demand continues to rise. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd probably be a bit wary on lithium at the moment. And just with this one, it's raised so much capital. It's still a long way away from production. You know, I get where the appeal is and, um, you know, particularly the fact that the green side of it also means that they're going to be very low cost producers because of the um, the power source is cheap. But I, I just think, you know, three to four years is probably where they're saying that they'll be. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of pushback in, in delays in, in timeframes with these kind of projects. And, you know, if I was looking for exposure to lithium, I'd probably go for a mineral resources, which, you know, is also founder led, well backed. But it has a tier one asset, um, which is sitting on care and maintenance at the moment while they wait for what they believe is a structural change um, in demand for lithium. Um, that, you know, it wouldn't seem that they, they see yet, but it's got good profits and cash flows that are coming through whilst that project is on ice. Um, yeah. But it can be restarted very quickly if they yeah. wanted it to. And it's got a bit of a portfolio of other minerals in there too, isn't it? You take your portfolio approach within mineral resources. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, quite a decent iron ore producer. It yeah. um, does a lot of contracting and crushing work, so it's quite stable earnings. So it, it'll just be able to go through the ups and downs, and then it'll give you the kick if the lithium demand story does play out. Yeah. All right. Isaac wants a view, Ben, on Next DC, the, uh, um, the big computer hosting uh, business that um, uh, has been um, a massive 
uh, winner over the last couple of years. Uh, what do you think of Next DC? Yeah, I, I, I think this is a, a quality business, Koshi. Um, th these guys effectively own a lot of the infrastructure that's behind the move from hosting um, data on services, servers in offices into the cloud. Um, yeah. So, so you know, are, has the, are you, are you the saying it, it's, it's a property play as well? Absolutely, it's an asset yep. play. Yep, yep, absolutely. Because it it owns these big properties. Um, it's it's got two under construction in Sydney and in Melbourne at the moment, which will be completed and probably getting close to full in about eighteen months' time. Um, there's a a number of benefits that it brings. You know, I, I actually went and saw Next DC about seven or eight years ago. One of one of the big benefits is that you know if Woolworths has got all of its servers in a data center run by Next DC and um, one of their customers, say, has got their servers as well. They can click, um, they can plug the servers into each other and they don't need to, they get instantaneous settlement and sharing of information without needing to worry about security breaches, etc. Mm. Mm. So there's no doubt that there is a structural trend that is playing out in this company's favour. It seems to be really well managed. I think that they've executed very well. I would say it's going through a time at the moment, it does do this over the last decade, where it goes through the more capital intensive um, parts of its its trajectory where, you know, it's out constructing these massive centres whilst trying to sign up customers to go into them. So there's a lot of money going out the door and the money coming in is not starting to flow yet. But when it does, it's very high quality earnings because once companies put their servers in, they're very reluctant to move. Um, I would say I've always sort of thought that Amazon is probably bizarrely the better business to own in some ways, just because AWS is just a behemoth. If, it, if you do like that story, I think um, it's probably got some advantages. But I'm, I'm going to go on a buy on uh, on Next DC. Okay, all right. Um, Alan, what do you think of Next DC, the the big data center group, and um, uh, PE? It's always traded on really high PE, hasn't it, compared with uh, the rest of the sector? And that's going to happen if it's continually reinvesting in itself, right? You're going to get depressed earnings. Um, so what you be what you should be looking at if you're looking at any type of multiple for this business is probably the gross profit, um, both the percentage and in absolute terms, and kind of coming to your valuation around that. I think it's a great business. I think, uh, as Ben said, it's basically the the real estate for the internet. You know, if you upload a something to Twitter and that image has to go somewhere, it's probably going to be stored on something like Next DC's. Um, warehouses or, or servers. Um, co-location is a massively important thing. We're seeing, you know, more data centers pop up around the world. We've got um, CDM providers like Fastly and Cloudflare and many other businesses that operate around kind of the internet ecosystem depend on services like NextDC because they need to be near major cities. Um, so, you know, being an early mover in Australia for this, I think it's probably one of, if not the best ways to play the, the transition to a public yeah. cloud infrastructure, which is like AWS, Azure, um, and Google GCP. Um, you know, as Ben said, you could probably take a basket approach. You could probably buy Amazon, Microsoft, and many of these other businesses that also have a pretty big exposure to this. Um, it's a thematic that's estimated to be worth at over a trillion dollars. So that transition from desktop compute to cloud compute, um, you've got to pay the multiple for it. but. Um, for a small position, you could start now and then just slowly accumulate yeah. over the next decade, I'd say. And it's ha had a bit of a pullback over the last couple of weeks too, hasn't it? Uh, September hasn't been very kind to it. So uh, coming back to those more normal tech um, levels. Yeah, and the thing is, you, you just you just have to be patient with some of these great businesses. Yeah. Um, I think the one risk is just 
monitoring to ensure that the whole industry doesn't just race to the bottom like yeah. they do in, say, telecommunications. Okay. All right, let's go on to our next talk. Mel uh, wants a view on Unibar Rodemco. Um, Owen, Mel says, I came across this when trying to find Westfield stocks. Can't find much information about it uh, online, uh, but looks like they lease in Westfields. Is it a good buy? Uh, Mel, when the Lowy family who founded Westfield decided to cash in um, and take their money, they split the business into a, the European sort of shopping centre business and the uh, and the Australian shopping centre business. And, and this is the, the European business, isn't it? Mm, that's correct, yeah. So, and since that time, it's basically, um, for ASX investors, it's basically headed south. Um, to be honest, I'd probably rather own, if I was interested in income, I think I'd rather own Centre Group, which is the, the, the real estate owner for Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, obviously we're in a very uncertain time for, for shopping centre businesses globally. Um, I don't, you know, we've just come off a thematic where we're talking about, you know, kind of a rising tide lifting most boats um, being cloud computing to one where we're uncertain about the future of shopping centres. I don't think it's like doom and gloom, but I just think that uh, if you're looking for growth, um, you probably want to look elsewhere. Um, it's a business that, you know, is geographically diversified. So you'd have to analyse businesses and, and assets in, in London, in America and all throughout the world. Um, which you can do because they do provide some great, um, I guess, reporting in their, their annual report. You can go and you can look at the, the buildings and the properties and see what's going on at those facilities. Um, I would, honestly, I, if I was interested in income, I'd probably go for something like the Vanguard Property Securities ETF, BAP, or even um, just a, an Australian REIT like BWP Trust um, for income because uh, this business is exposed to a more cyclical element. So that's kind of my takeaway. I, would, I, I wouldn't hold it today. I'd probably sell it, to be honest. Right. Okay, Ben? Yeah, I'm a, a sell on this one as well, Koshi. Um, the low is just, you know, the timing was extraordinary. I think, mate, Frank, he couldn't have known COVID was coming, but he certainly... Um, well, I have, I have an I old theory it. is when founders sell out, they know something. So if you're in there, get out yourself. <laughs> yeah, look, I... Yeah, I, I, and he, he was so good at timing the market for decades, you know, and, and just could see the trends. And I think, you know, for poor old Unibail, they, I mean, a lot of this was of their own making. The, the main mistake they made was that they geared up that acquisition. So they, you know, they bought out um, Westfield, took on a lot of debt to fund it, which they were planning on paying down. But then COVID hit and um, a lot of the shopping centres across Europe and the US were, were closed. I think... Um, um, just in the last half um, of the European shopping centres, they were closed on average for 92 days. So, you know, you don't need to be a genius to work out that that is um, a serious struggle, particularly when you are still nursing. I think it's around 24 billion uh, dot euro is euros in net debt. Yeah. Uh, so they are on a massive deleveraging cycle now, where they're trying to sell assets wherever they can to get those debt levels down. I think the concerning thing I would say with this business is that um, post Europe coming out of lockdowns and um, foot, foot travel, you know, sort of going back to what could be normal is that the foot traffic through the European malls is at about 76% of where it was pre-COVID. So even with, you know, people's mm. ability to go into these shops freely and to, and to shop, they, they, people have not either not felt comfortable doing that or the online shopping craze that we've all you know seen take off through COVID 
is accelerating the structural change that was occurring right. for these assets anyway. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a big cross for me. I mean, too much debt um, and, yeah. you know, the, the assets yeah. are under pressure. And, you know, if I was picking out one just to throwing out an alternative, I'm really keen on Dexas at the moment, which is the um, the large office owner in, um, in Sydney and in Melbourne. Okay. All right. Now, uh, this next stock, I think, is a similar theme. Uh, Tyler wants a view on Chuess. I think is how you pronounce it. Mm. It's a Singapore-based yep. telecommunications company, but it was spun out of TPG Telecom, which was founded by a guy called David Teo, who was a bit of a rock star of telecommunications. Um, um, bought Vodafone, merged it with Hutchison. The whole thing floated TPG. Then he left to actually found QS in, in Singapore. And uh, as, um, as a result, it seems to have done better, Ben, than TPG. Yeah, it's, it's had an interesting hi- history. So, so TPG was trying to build out a, a network in, in Singapore um, before the, the merger occurred with Vodafone. And it was seen as such a small non-core asset that it was spun off under its own steam. And, you know, we've yep. seen TO leave TPG slash Vodafone since. Um, this was this was a real surprise. Like if you, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, I think they did like 3 million in revenue for the six months leading into the demerger. And then they've done like 34 million in revenue in the nine months that they've just recorded. And that you can see the reaction on the, um, yep. the result that they've just put out clearly caught um, a lot of people by surprise. Um, so it's, it, you know, David Teo is a gun and, yep. um, you know, he started TPG from literally nothing. And, um, you know, I remember him speaking very favorably of the Singapore market. The analysts were always skeptical about such a competitive market, how you make it work. But they've now got 390,000 subscribers in Singapore, which are paying about $9.40 in ARPU. Um, and they've only got about a four and a half percent market share, so mm. it looks like this could keep going. And um, they've also said that they're um, they've hit cash flow positive for the first time. So, look, I, I, this could be a bit of a spec buy for me. I, okay. You know, it, again, it's a, probably a smaller part of your portfolio, but it's got the right people involved, and it's certainly taken the market by surprise in terms of the take up that they've okay. seen in the last year. All right, Owen. Yeah, it's made a bit hard by the fact that we probably don't have a full, you know, robust set of numbers yet in terms of annual numbers. But early yeah. indications are very, very strong. Um, and so, you know, as Ben said, four and a half percent market share in pretty short succession. Um, we've got a, a leader of the business that has done it time and again. Um, the, the thing, the difference between this business and say Unity, which we just covered is that this business obviously has to pay to roll out you know, its 4G network. I think it's budgeted about $40 million, um, not, not including any 5G rollouts from mobile wireless. But um, affordable plans, um, winning market share in a competitive market, a, a great leader at the helm. You know, um, I think as a small position of portfolio, I think it's about a $600 million plus company all of a sudden. Um, I'd say you, know, you could take a small position watch it play out, get your hand on the next set of financials and just monitor that free cash flow. It seems you know, like it's going to be pretty good. It's got um, annuity-like revenue, which we love from telcos. Um, and it's a, you know, Singapore's not a massive market. So for 4G internet, you know, simplistically, it, it should be a relatively easy rollout compared to say Australia. 
um, which is obviously a much larger larger place and um, much more diverse. So um, an interesting business, one definitely for the watch list. I'd probably say, yes, to be positive, I'd say a small position, so a speculative buy. Okay. All right. And uh, our final stock is uh, the viewers want your view on Owen is uh, Pexa Group, which is the online property settlement uh, company. Only recently floated, spun out of Link Administration, wasn't it? And a lot of people thought that it was the best part of Link. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's easy to see why. If you've settled a property, you would... Um, you would probably know why it's such a great platform. You don't have to rock up when you see a conveyancer and you want to, you know, settle sort of property. You basically just go pick up the keys and it does it for you, or does it for the conveyancer. So, yeah, we did a lot of work on this during the IPO, and I guess if I could just, you know, the, the bottom line first is that um, it's basically a, a wonderful business, but it's priced like it. And so right. there was a lot of talk um, in the IPO. Um, I think Frost and Sullivan was commissioned to do kind of a you know, a, a survey of the of the UK market, which is what they're trying to crack into. And I think it's important for investors to remember that you should probably do your own um, assessment of how big that market is. We, we tend to think that the total addressable market is actually quite a little bit smaller than what they put in their prospectus or, or their notes uh, for the ASX. Uh, the other thing to note is that there's still a quite a runway for that. And although we, you know, it's a really strong business here in Australia, great margins, but there is some competition coming um, I don't know exactly how that will shake out. It's a pretty regulated business. So um, you get that kind of, it's a double prong thing where you, you kind of get a defensive business model, but at the same time, your growth locally right. is probably a bit subdued. Um, ultimately, I'd say it's a hold. I would look to buy it on a pullback, but it'd have to be pretty meaningful from these prices. Yeah, Ben? Yeah, I, I really like this business as well. I, I think this you know could be one of the higher quality technology businesses you see in Australia. I'm not sure about the UK rollout either. I, 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 you know, you hope that they can get it right, but they are going to be um, sinking a fair bit of capital in trying to um, to take on the UK market and done what they've been able to do here. And you do wonder whether, you know, you, like as an example, like one of our long-term holdings has been realestate.com. And you, yeah. you just think for the many attempts that they've made to go offshore and to, to do it as well, and this is a, an awesome managed business. It, they've just never been able to crack it. And ultimately, you know, there's no reason why you can't just be a very high quality business, which just consistently grows across Australia with all these structural tailwinds going in your favor. And I, for me, you know, if they if they were just sticking to what they were doing, so there still is a long runway of growth in Australia. There's a lot of adjacencies that could be brought into this um, platform. I, it would be a buy. I, I, just the thing that tempers my enthusiasm is how do they go in the UK? You know, how long is it going to take? And you know, the the chances of success because there's others trying to take this on as well. So I'll go a hold. Okay, all right, gents. Uh, ben Clark from TMS Capital, mate. Always good to catch up. Uh, good luck getting back into the Thank office. You. Hopefully, you don't get the jitters, uh, or you're probably racing out the door if you're doing homeschooling. Um, and, and, Oh, a Raskovich from Ras Media, mate. Always great to catch up. Go and uh, take a look at the Ras Media uh, platform as well. Lots of great information there. Appreciate your time, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Let's, just, let's just recap the uh, final five stocks: Vulcan Energy, a sell. Take your money and run. If you've uh, run up from a dollar to thirteen dollars in the last twelve months, you've done well. Uh, next DC, according to the guys, a, a buy from both. Um, Unibail, Redemco, Cell, 
Um, if, you're, if you're looking for shopping centres, Owen prefers Centre Group, which is the Australian version of Westfield. Unibar, Westfield, Redemco is, uh, is all the European Westfields. Uh, Chuas, um, the Singapore-based telecommunications group, um, a buy from both of them, and Pexo, Pexo Group, a hold. Um, that's our show for today. Just a reminder, if you want any particular stocks analysed by uh, the team, email them to the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder, if you want to see all the uh, stocks in the uh, calls fantasy portfolio, uh, today we have uh, early pay going in, Unity Group stays there, Next DC goes in and Chuas goes in. Uh, I'll see you next time from midday here for the call.